Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Creative Architects by Castos. I am your host, Angela Hollowell, and this is a podcast about the future of the creator economy. Today, I am joined by Justin Moore, who is the founder of Creator Wizard. Let's have you make some exclusive content that only people on the email list are going to get, right? And so very easily within the span of, I'm not even joking, Angela, like two weeks, we got 30,000 people on our email list. This podcast is brought to you by Castos. One of the best ways to learn something is to go directly to the top people in that field. At Castos, we do just that. Each episode of Creative Architects features creators who have taken their work to the next level. We hope that by watching and listening, it will inspire more creativity in your work. Along the way, Castos wants to be a part of your creative journey. From our suite of tools, feature-rich hosting platform, and even our production services, we're here to help. Connect directly with us by emailing hello at castos.com or by clicking on the link in the description. Thanks for tuning in. It means a lot. I hope you enjoy the show. I mentioned that you started Creator Wizard, but this wasn't really your first foray into helping people find and negotiate sponsorships. You had um, an influencer marketing company that you ran. I believe you ran it with your wife. Is that correct? So no, I actually primarily ran it, but like definitely started it and learned everything about the influencer space from having channels personally ourselves. Tell me a little bit about like going from being kind of a solo creator, which a lot of us start off as, and then going to say, hey, I see a gap in the market. I can help influence that gap through working with other influencers and developing, you know, user-generated content, all those types of things with your own company? I think if you've been a creator for a little while, especially if you've been been a creator who has experienced some level of success, there's this moment where everything seems to be going really well. And you're like, man, if I could just make $5,000 a month or $10,000 a month forever, this would be amazing. This is like, I could li- I could get used to this, you know, this type of idea. I'll never have to get a real job again, you know, this type of idea. And we very much had that moment. I think at the height of our YouTube viewership way back in the day in the kind of 2014, 2015 uh, timeframe, I, re- I distinctly remember we had one month where just on AdSense, we made $25,000. And I remember I got that email and I, I showed it to my wife and I was like, we just made $25,000 just on YouTube AdSense. And we were like, I remember we were in Forever 21. We both like stopped, <laughs> like like stopped and looked at each other like, what the heck, right? Because I think previous to that, the most we'd ever made was like 15K or something. But it was like, it was very much this moment where it was like, is this possible? Like, could, could we continue to make this? And so we entered in the, into this, this phase of thinking like, okay, everything is going well now, but this can't continue forever. We very much were skeptical that like, you know, whether we were like one algorithm change away or we get demonetized or we, we, you know, people aren't as interested in watching us or we can't command the amount of money on sponsorship rates that we are currently. Like we just had this like sense that like we have to, while we have the tiger by the tail, so to speak, we should figure out other ways in which we can diversify our income. And so the, the, most obvious one to me at that time was like we had at by that point done uh, hundreds, a lot of sponsorships personally as creators. And I have a background in medical devices. I was actually a product manager and I had a ton of experience like liaising with different departments and customers. And like, this was kind of my professional skill set. Uh, and I thought to myself, like, I feel like I could do this 
process of working with sponsors for other creators. Like I could not be their manager, but essentially my customer would be the brands and the, and the larger agencies who still don't really kind of understand influencer marketing. Remember this was like 2015, 2016 timeframe, or it was still pretty early. And so this was the pitch basically. It was like a went to the brands that we were, we had just finished deals with and say, Hey, it was an awesome deal we just did with you. Did you also know that I have access to like all these other awesome creators that you could collaborate with as well? And it was as simple as that. I, I did obviously prior to making that pitch, uh, go and get approval from all of our basically friends on YouTube to say, Hey, can we like put you in a deck and say that you're kind of like on our roster and go out and try and get you business. Right. Um, and they were like, sure. You want to bring, pay me money? Sure. Type idea. Right. And so that was the business model. It was essentially being the project manager, the liaison between these larger advertisers and other creators. And so we basically took a, a percentage for the campaign management. But that was how I got this experience of like being a creator personally, you know, kind of in the trenches doing all these deals, but also seeing the other side of it. I like what it actually takes to, you know, spend $500,000 or a million dollars on an influencer campaign. Yeah. And those are not small numbers. And it's not an easy service to do because, you know, you're still essentially playing matchmaker, number one, then two, hoping the match works out, but also doing your best to ensure the match works out. So you're not even like a passive, like, hey, you guys meet, I'm going to walk away. Like once the deal's done, it's like, hey, I need to make sure that this deal and campaign went to fruition, make sure everybody's paid on the back end and make sure, you know, this creator knows how to communicate the success of this campaign so we can continue to get them more deals. I find it interesting in your journey that you guys started on YouTube, you specifically started on YouTube. And then you said, hold on, let me focus on email marketing for a second. And then your email marketing has like catapulted Creator Wizard to heights that your YouTube channel even couldn't. And it wasn't that your YouTube channel was doing bad. It was just like, hmm, let me focus on like actually getting these people off this platform, probably in the same mindset as you were when you were like, let me diversify income because YouTube, I don't own this platform. So talk to me a little bit about how, you know, you've kind of doubled down on writing and growing the Creator Wizard community through email. One of the reasons that I took a, a newsletter and an email list so seriously when I started educating creators around sponsorship strategy through Creator Wizard was that we had this experience early on of creating an email list way back in the day. So kind of at, I mentioned we were at, you know, at kind of the height of our YouTube heyday. A company had approached us and this was way before mem paid memberships, courses and all this stuff too. And they were kind of a bleeding edge, like leading the charge on these types of unique business ideas. They basically convinced us like, man, you guys have such an engaged audience. Let us help you design a membership community around uh, relationship advice. Because that was like what we were known for back in the day was we would give relationship advice and all this stuff. And so we got really excited about it because it was like, you know, you, you start doing the numbers like, oh, if only, you know, 20 bucks a month and like this many people sign up and like, wow, that's amazing. You know, this, this is what we got intoxicated with these, the numbers that they were throwing around, right? And so as part of this strategy, Real quickly, ultimately, it failed, by the way. So, so I just like want to like preempt this by like, it didn't work. Like we, we had to shut it down. It didn't work. But as part of this process of launching it, we made an email list, right? And so they said, you know, email is going to be a big part of this. And so let's have you make some exclusive content that only people on the email list are going to get. And so very easily within the span of, I'm not even joking, Angela, like two weeks, we got 30,000 people on our email list. And it was nuts, right? Because it was, it was just like, I, I don't I can't even remember what the exclusive piece of content was, but it was like, it was really good and people wanted it, right? And so 
we nurtured that list for a little bit, but then we kind of abandoned it because it was like, well, we don't really have anything now that we're not doing this community or membership. We don't really have a reason to kind of continue to like email these people. And so we, we let that list languish for five, six years. We didn't send them anything. And so when we ultimately decided like, oh, okay, maybe we should like take this a little bit more seriously and start emailing this list again. We ran a re, what's called a re-engagement campaign where we sent them an email and said, hey, you haven't heard from us in five years. Do you still want to hear from us? Right. Click here. So you have to opt in to be able to like stay on our list. And of the 30,000 people that we sent that to, only 1,000 opted back in. That was a real sobering moment for us because it was like, imagine if we would have nurtured this over the last five years, not only what would 30,000 be now, but like all these other amazing uh, relationships that we could have developed, uh, whether maybe we would have could have sold products directly, maybe, you know, we could have upsold that with our sponsors. Like, and so, so it really was a, a, a very critical moment that led me to realize like, okay, I am not going to make that same mistake when I start, when I started Creator Wizard, I was like, I'm going to take it seriously from day one. And in reality, if you go back and look at every piece of content that I've made since I started in, you know, 2020, you know, you look at my YouTube videos, you look at my tweets, you look at my Instagram posts, everything drives to the newsletter. When it's a call to action, it's go sign up for my newsletter. And that was very intentional because I knew that down the line, like having this direct connection is going to be a game changer with some of these products that I ultimately envision myself offering down the line. Yeah. And I think like that's the key. I mean, obviously you can do that with YouTube, but YouTube is also a public forum. You know, you can maybe now YouTube has kind of caught up a little bit in terms of memberships and and things like that. But ultimately, you know, if YouTube goes down, so does all of that work that you just did versus your email platform. Like you said, like you will own that for as long as people want to be on it. And so now you're in the process of kind of rebuilding that in your own way for Creator Wizard and keeping it engaged. So like totally understand. Switching gears a little bit to Creator Wizard. I've seen your YouTube videos. You are a very dynamic, engaging, kind of like in your face personality, right? And I think that when people start creating and think about, well, if I want my platform to be leveraged and monetized via sponsorships, I also have to replicate this, you know, Justin Moore, Peter McKinnon type <laughs> energy, right? Like I have to go a hundred percent all the time. Yeah. I have to be making faces. I have to have a psh, like mm. noise reaction. That is sound, my own. Sound effects, <laughs> like something. You got to have something, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's honestly just like not the case, right? Like that is not everybody's personality. And that's not the only way to allow people to see your personality and experience who you are. And I guess ultimately to build trust with you, trust enough to try a product that you recommend. So when people come to you and they say, well, I have a big following, but maybe I haven't felt confident reaching out to brands because I don't know if I will fit, you know, the ideal creator that they're looking for, or the internet personality that they're looking for. What is some of the advice that you have for them? So I want to first address the kind of in, in your face personality idea, because if you go back and watch some of our very, very early videos, I was not like this at all. I very much kind of had this I felt like I need to have needed to have this kind of polished personality and just like, oh, I need to talk very proper and I need to be like this and I need to always make sure my hair is done properly. And I need to, that, that was very much like early days. If you go back and watch some of our earlier videos, that was how I was. And two things. Number one, the way I am on camera right now 
like in my videos and in my podcast and all that stuff, this is really me. Like if you were to like come, you know, interact with me in my house or go have fun, like I am constantly cracking jokes like every two seconds. That is just my personality. And what I ultimately learned over many years of making content was that you just have to be yourself. And if yourself is funny and weird, and I'm sure my in-your-face personality turns off a lot of people, and that's to my detriment for that those people. But there's also a lot of people who really are who really are attracted to that, who gravitate to the fact that I'm like weird and kooky and I make crazy jokes and like, you know, like use weird gifts and like I have a soundboard, you know, like, like I'm sure there's a lot of people who was like, this guy's not serious. Right. But there's a lot of people who it's like, they really like that. And so I think one of the major takeaways is like, regardless of how you are, maybe you're more subdued, maybe you're more professional, maybe you're fun and crazy and you crack jokes all the time. You just have to be you because any other way people are going to see through it or they're not, it's not going to feel genuine. And so if you ever needed permission from anyone to just be yourself on the internet, whether it's a podcast, whether it's YouTube, whatever it is, be yourself. Humans want to connect with humans. So that's number one. The second thing is your, your question is like, you know, feeling imposter syndrome or feeling concerned that when you reach out to a brand that you may not be kind of the archetype or the persona of the type of creator that maybe they've typically partnered with in the past, or, um, you know, you're not the kind of, you know, person making the crazy YouTube thumbnail face or whatever, you know, like that, that's what they, you know, you, you'd expect. Right. And I think the, the biggest piece of advice there is that never, ever, ever make assumptions when it comes to interacting with brands. Because I think that this is what holds a lot of people back as they think, oh, well, they're never going to want to work with me because I only have a thousand or 5,000 followers, or they're never going to want to work with me because I don't get this many average views or downloads on my podcast, or they're never going to, right? It's just like this repeated list of, of imposter syndrome symptoms. And what you'll be very surprised to learn when you do start interacting with brands is that they don't have it all figured out. <laughs> they don't have a really a firm understanding of like what works well on social media. Oftentimes, either they've never really worked with a lot of creators. And if they have worked with creators, sometimes it hasn't been that great of an experience. So like, if you're someone who is professional, who is communicative, who understands that this is a business relationship when you work with a brand, right there, like that is your you know, way far beyond what most creators can say when it comes to to working with brands. And so I think this is this is like a, a really important mindset shift for most people is like, just don't make any assumptions when it comes to working with brands and let let the brand be the one to tell you like, oh, no, you're not a good fit for us. Don't, uh, you know, dismiss yourself from the running before you even start. Yeah, I like that. I mean, sometimes we can self-select and this is in, in general, you know, whether it's a client, whether it's a sponsorship or a brand deal, sometimes we'll say, oh, you know, I, I've seen they've worked with so-and-so, you know, I'm not as big as them or I'm not as blah as them, whatever, whatever we tell ourselves that makes us feel like we shouldn't go after an opportunity. So for you, for one thing, in terms of opportunities, you know, your opportunity list is long. And some of those emails, I'm like, good grief, this could have been, you know, an essay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so <laughs> when it comes to also being like using discernment and seeing and going after brands, a lot of that does come with time and it comes with developing your taste and understanding who you are. But it also kind of comes from mentorship and learning from other people and, and what they have experienced in working with brands and things like that. So when it comes to you sharing your experience, you have in some ways productized that as well in terms of a one-on-one -on -one session. What are some of the common findings you have seen in the people who are willing to pay for a higher level of mentorship? Yeah, that's a great question. One thing I always like to ask at the end of my coaching calls is like, what were some of the 
big takeaways for you at the end of this call, basically. And I think I always find that that's a really good way for people to distill in their own heads. Like, okay, I came into this hoping for a certain outcome and like, let me, let me check to see if like I, if I accomplished what I was hoping to. Right. And there's some really interesting real-time learning that happens when I think, when I ask that question to people and one of my most recent uh, public coaching calls, I asked this question to them and they said, you know, I knew that I could probably find out the answer to my question by watching your entire YouTube catalog. Like I could go back, I could watch all these different videos and I could go from here and look at there and all this stuff too. But I don't have time for that. I just wanted to pay you for the shortcut. Tell me exactly what I need to know, where I need to go, where do I find this resource? And that's what I paid for. And I think a lot of times people struggle with this idea of like, what do I give away for free and what do I charge for? Like, what do I paywall or what do I gate or what this type of thing? And oftentimes you'll find that some people like simply at the end of the day, they just want a shortcut. They don't have to, people are busy. Uh, and if you can take them from point A to point B as quickly as possible, that's hugely, hugely valuable, which is why honestly, candidly, Angela, I give away the vast majority of everything for free. Like you'll see the, I'm giving away these public coaching calls. I'm showing exactly what my, my brand deal pricing calculator looks like. I'm should all my methods and my tactics and all this stuff. A lot of this stuff I teach in my courses and all that stuff too. I give away for free because like, I don't care if 99% of people never, ever pay me a dime truly at the end of the day, because there's always going to be people who need more detailed support who will be more than happy to invest in that. And so I think it's like having this default disposition that like, I'm going to give away everything. Information wants to be free. I, that's what I believe. And if you need more support, one-on-one support for me or my team or whatever, like here's the, here, here's the way to do that. You can, you can purchase it here kind of idea. I like that. I like that. Because I mean, like as a creator, I think about that too. Like I'm largely client focused right now and I'm creating online. Yes, but haven't really dived headfirst into brand deals and sponsorships. And, you know, when I think about, well, what is something worth to someone else, right? The main thing is it saves me time, first of all. That's a big one because you're either going to spend money or time or both. So why not get your money's worth? (laughs) And (laughs) that's just the long and short of that. You mentioned something kind of critical at the end there, which is like if they need support from you or your team. So in a way, when we hire people, we hire them to buy our time back. We hire them so that we don't have to spend time on things that one would take us more time to do because it's just not our area of, of genius and area of expertise. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about how you went about building a team for Creator Wizard. Yeah, so it was just me for a long time. Probably don't have uh, a time to go into this in detail, but my agency, it was going great for a really long time, but it actually crashed and burned right when the pandemic started. I have a whole video on my YouTube channel about that. It was super traumatizing. I had, you know, lost a bunch of clients, had to lay off my employees. Like it was like one of the lowest points of my life. And actually the ashes of that failure is why I started Creator Wizard. But I have a lot of, still have a lot of trauma from that experience. Because at the height, I I think we, you know, our payroll was about 50K a month, you know, with my employees, my full-time employees and all that stuff too. So not for the faint of heart, you know, in terms of being a business owner. And so I very, I was very conscious of that and very careful growing creator wizard. I was like, all right, okay, this is going to be like a solo thing for a while, like maybe freelancers or how an editor and all that stuff too, but I'm not going to like, you know, incur a bunch of like ongoing costs, like building a big team and all this stuff too. So I was like very, very clear about, about that from the beginning. But as the business has grown, as my revenue has grown, I've made kind of modest steps towards growing the team. Um, and so the first major thing that I did was I had this 
amazing woman named Dee, who was an, an early student of one of my cohorts, actually. I had known her kind of anecdotally, you know, not anecdotally, like, um, uh, you know, she has been, wa- she had watched uh, my wife and I on our YouTube channels for a really long time. And so I, I, you know, she had been in that community, but she was making a concerted effort to being a creator herself. And so she decided to participate in the program and she was a superstar. I mean, she honestly did every homework assignment. She just like took it really seriously and saw amazing results to the point where other students started going to her for advice. Oh, let me go ask Dee this because she was like amazing, right? And so I, that happened enough times that I was like, you know what? I think I should probably just hire Dee. And so I, I kind of broached this idea with her. I was like, hey, initially it was like, hey, will you maybe be interested in doing some office hours? Because you're amazing. Like people talk to you, they get so inspired, like all this stuff. And so she was like, heck yeah. So she was super excited. So she started running on my office hours. So I would do my courses and then she would be the one, I wouldn't even be there. She would be the one to do the office hours. And so that was the first step. Then I found myself started turning turning to her more and more for decisions about the business. Like, hey, I'm thinking about increasing the price of the, you know, of the course, or I'm thinking about making this change, or I'm thinking about changing the newsletter in this way. And so I started going to her because it was like super valuable to just like have someone to turn to and be like, what do you think? Is this a stupid idea? Should I do this? Right. And so it just more and more, it started happening more and more. And then honestly, as of about a month ago, a month and a half ago, I Oh, actually, sorry, let me rewind. So she, so she was the first kind of freelance hire, like, you know, she was working with, working with her for about now it's almost two years, but then about a year and a half ago, brought on a a VA. So that was the first time I'd ever had a a virtual assistant ever. And then, you know, I've been on YouTube for 15 years. And so brought on a VA, then, you know, a video editor, these are all freelancers, um, you know, social or like graphic design, you know, freelance help. So, so those were, um, then I brought on uh, a writer, a script writer on a freelance basis to help me with some of the newsletter stuff. And like here off, you know, here and there, one-off projects, like hiring people to help me with like you know, newsletter strategy or YouTube support, like all this stuff. So hiring experts in different areas. Uh, But then about a month and a half ago, made the really big decision to promote D to basically be my number two. So she is now the director of operations and community. And so she's kind of running the day-to-day of the business now. And so this decision was something I thought long and hard of because if I look at all of the things that really drive the largest outcomes for my business, oftentimes it's, what's my zone of genius? Content and thought leadership writing, speaking, going to conferences, being on podcasts like like your lovely podcast, Angela, you know, doing these things that are, I feel like this is, this is what I was born to do. Like I'm really good at like distilling these complex thoughts into videos, articles, et cetera. And so I was like, what, what can I do to just like spend all my time on that? Because that is what is going to be the things to like move the business forward. And so all these other things that are happening in terms of like the newsletter, all the sponsors we have and like logistics and like all the, you know, I have 30, 2000 creators on my email list. Now I'm getting hundreds of emails a day, you know, like, like all of these things require bodies, right. And like help and like administrative support and like all this stuff too. And so I need to just like figure out a way in which I can like not do those things anymore and focus on this thing that really moves the business forward. And so this is, we're very early in, into this, you know, big shift in the company, but I'm really excited because like you, I didn't release a video on my YouTube channel. My creator was your YouTube channel for like a couple months. And then now since then, since this shift, I think I've released like five or six. So it's like, I'm really feeling the the creative juices flowing again, which I'm really excited about. Yes. I think that's a great note to end on for people who are watching. Definitely go check out Justin's YouTube, follow him on Twitter. He's always dropping gems. And if you're open to it, subscribe to his newsletter. Justin, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Angela. That's all for this episode. 
If you enjoyed it, please give us a five-star review on your listening app, like this video if you're tuning in on YouTube, and subscribe for more episodes. In the next episode of Creative Architects by Castos, I'll be talking with Rand Fishkin, the founder of Spark Toro, and you won't want to miss it. I'll catch you in the next episode.